You just heard a portion of a piece called The Diamond by Vijay Iyer. That was from the first movement titled A Dream, and it was performed by violinist Jennifer Coe with the composer himself at the piano. It's part of a new album on Sadie Records called Limitless, a series of duos that Jennifer Coe performs with the composers on various instruments or sometimes using their own voices, almost all pieces that Jennifer commissioned herself. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records, and every time we have a new release on Sadie, we have a new classical Chicago podcast. And this is our new release for September 2019, and I'm so delighted that my guest on this classical Chicago podcast is the star of this album, violinist Jennifer Coe. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. So before we get into the album itself, I thought we'd start by asking you about your early experiences with the violin growing up in Chicago. Well, my mom was a refugee during the Korean War, and so when my parents moved to Chicago and they had me in the United States, they wanted me to have every opportunity that they did not have. So along with violin, I also learned ballet and rhythmic gymnastics and gymnastics and diving and ice skating and swimming. And music was really the one thing that I knew I always wanted to have in my life. So I was very lucky that at the little local Suzuki school that my mom went to, that I had a wonderful first teacher, Mrs. Davis, Joe Davis. And so I started learning the violin at age three at Wheaton College. And then gradually I studied at what is now known as the Music Institute of Chicago. And I still feel like I have very strong connections to Chicago. Many members of the Chicago Symphony I've known since I was really a child. It really feels like a homecoming when I come and play in Chicago. And I feel incredibly grateful to the people that guided me through my early years because my parents were not musicians and they really made all of the introductions that were important for my musical development, but also really mentored and guided me. And of course, you made your debut with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra at the age of 11. What was that like? At that point, it was just fun. (laughs) And now when I go back with Chicago Symphony, it is wonderful to see people that I've known my entire life. And now, actually, a lot of people I went to school with are in the orchestra. But it's definitely a different kind of feeling. I had, at that age, it was just purely fun because I had never made music with such a great orchestra. And it was wonderful. Can you talk just a little bit about your subsequent education after leaving Chicago? I went to Oberlin College, and I got an English degree there, and then I moved on to the Curtis Institute of Music. While I was at Oberlin, I was already going to the Marlboro Music Festival in the summers, which created a natural transition, I think, to Curtis. And I studied with Jamie Laredo and Felix Gallimere. Although in the years before, when I was in college, I was still going to New York to study with Felix. And, of course, you won many competitions along the way, most famously the Tchaikovsky at the age of 17. Is that correct? Yes. Let's move on, uh, now that we have a little background, to the project at hand, which is titled Limitless. What was your inspiration for this album, and what does the title signify for you? Well, first of all, I believe in a general philosophy that artists can build the world that we want to live in. And coming from parents that were refugees and being born to parents that were immigrants to the United States, it's incredibly important to me in general to advocate for people, even when I was growing up, because I'm really part of the first generation that was born as a result of the change in U.S. immigration law in 1965. And so my childhood was very much a situation where I think it was unusual in the neighborhood I grew up in. I think we were like an alien family that landed in Glen Ellen. It was always this kind of situation where I feel in some ways it really gave me a gift of empathy 
because I identify with people that are on the outside and people that weren't given the same opportunities as other people. So Limitless is really about celebrating really great composers, but they also happen to be women and people of color. And it's important to me in general to advocate for people that have not been given the same opportunities as others because they are great and because I was lucky enough when I was growing up in Chicago that a few people advocated for me and I would not be a musician had they not had that generosity and made time and made the effort. So I feel the least I can do is to be aware of it and to give that same kind of spirit of collaboration and this understanding of generosity in the music that I commission, but also with the musicians I work with. Excellent. Jenny, I have so many more questions about this project as a whole, but I think it's time to get to some music because the music on this album is so interesting. And the first piece is by Kasim Nakvi. It's titled The Banquet. You perform it with the composer on Modular Synthesizer. What would you like to tell people about this piece before we hear an excerpt? Kasim has such an individual voice. He comes from an improvised background. I think the thing that's really interesting is he builds his synthesizers. There's a lot of humanity in it with how he literally builds it with his hands and also develops the sound, which happens as the synthesizer changes in terms of temperature even. So the pitches change. And so in this piece, you can actually hear a lot of that happening within the course of even one note from the synthesizer. In general, I just think Kasim is an incredibly creative musician. And as an individual, he has carried music to a different place, which is incredibly unique. This pitch wandering you mentioned, is that something you have to adjust to, or do you just stay with your line and that happens as it happens? It happens as it happens, and it's meant to be like that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Nakvi writes about his piece, On a programmatic level, the banquet is about the challenges of expressing beauty during times of great emotional turmoil. I was grappling with a profound challenge in my life during the making of this piece, and my desire was to feed these opposing forces into the music. Let's hear how that sounds with this excerpt from The Banquet, performed by Jennifer Coe on violin and the composer Kasim Nakvi on modular synthesizer.
That was an excerpt from a piece called The Banquet by Qasem Nakvi, a piece commissioned by Jennifer Coe and performed by Jennifer Coe on her new album Limitless with the composer on modular synthesizer. I noticed, Jenny, that many of the works, I think four out of the eight composers on this album, half the composers are performing on some form of electronics. How is it working with your acoustic instrument against a bed of electronics? Well, I think each work with electronics, the electronics have been developed in different ways. So, for example, with Nina Young's piece, that is built as a kind of a live processing piece, and Wang Lu's pieces as well. It kind of comes from this earcom tradition. Missy Mazzoli's electronics are very different, and then obviously Cosmos's as well. Great. Well, we'll get to the other pieces you mentioned later because I think we're going to continue to go through the pieces in album order. The other sort of repeat here is composers who use their own voice. And the first example of that is the next piece by Lisa Bilawa, which is titled Sanctuary Songs. And there's that theme of sanctuary that I think you talked about a little bit at the beginning in your own life history. So I suspect this piece might have particular resonance for you. Yeah. When you're close friends with your collaborators, you both understand and know the different stages that you're going through in your lives, each person on the other side. And I think with a lot of the composers, including and the composition Sanctuary Songs, and also Du Yun's piece, and also Wang Lu's piece, it's very much adapted to the relationships that we had while they were composing those pieces. Bilawa's Sanctuary Songs take texts from three American women poets from the 1920s, all, of, of course, on the theme of sanctuary. These are women poets that were not recognized in their lifetimes. They're working with what the idea is of sanctuary, and I believe Lisa was doing this as well. What is the meaning of sanctuary for women and how that meaning of the word sanctuary has shifted historically as well? And these are all American women, and we have a glimpse into their worlds at that time, but it is also very relevant to women still. Let's hear an example of that now. Here is an excerpt from the third song in the set of three sanctuary songs. The piece is titled My Marvelous Wall, and the text comes from a poem, in fact, titled Sanctuary by Eleanor Wiley. In all three moments of this piece, we hear the composer, a soprano, singing along with Jennifer on violin. This third piece, which we're going to hear an excerpt from, actually includes a combination of two choirs singing as well. So here is an excerpt from My Marvelous Wall.
That was an excerpt from the movement titled My Marvelous Wall from Lisa Bilawa's Sanctuary Songs for soprano and violin with Jennifer Cohen violin, Lisa Bilawa soprano, and in the third moment that we heard also includes two choirs, and those were from the Composition Studio at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and the Composing a Creative Life Seminar at the College of Performing Arts at the New School in New York City. Well, now that we've heard a couple of the different approaches to these duos, all of the pieces on this album, Limitless, are duos. Jenny, how did you choose the composers you decided to commission and work with for this project? Well, I started a nonprofit, Arco Collaborative, following working with Robert Wilson, the director on Einstein on the Beach. And what I realized was he built a nonprofit so that he could create the art that was important to him. So I was able to commission these works through Arco because I really believe in these composers and in their artistic voices. And as well, I really appreciate being part of this community of artists. Well, speaking of this community of artists, all of the works on this album are distinctive, but I think the next piece is particularly distinctive. What would you like to say about Du Yun as a composer? I don't know specifically what to talk about in terms of her composition. What I will say is Du Yun is an amazing performer, and she has an incredible sense of timing as a result of that and emotional trajectory if that makes sense. And I think that's reflected in her composition. It's just a lot of fun actually playing with her because everything is about the moment and that's what we do as performers. Of course, Kasim and Vijay and Lisa and Duyun are performers, but I think it's a unique thing with Duyun. Was her part completely written out, or is it somewhat improvised? No, it's not written out at all. So it's completely improvised. Mm -hmm. She always had an idea of skeletally where she would kind of enter, but even in the recording studio, we were trying many different things. In a way, with the duo, with Duyun specifically, her part wasn't written out, whereas for everybody else, it was. I think that's what made it unique as well. The piece has the evocative title, Give Me Back My Fingerprints. I guess I should ask Jenny if that title has any special significance we should know about. So this goes through different life changes again. I think also has to do with the kind of friendships and community and the generosity and the closeness that we have. In terms of my relationships with these composers, I think there's a shared awareness and experience that two women have. We know what's going on in each other's lives. And so I think it's about reclaiming one's own life, how we come together, and how women come together during difficult times. Duyun's booklet, Program Note, very much speaks to that shared experience. What Duyun writes is, The piece is a personal narrative for both Jenny and me a woman's scream for independence revealing and manifesting the strength of both women's emotional connection to each other. Intimacy rooted in a primal need has also, in turn, morphed into a catharsis. Do you feel that catharsis when you're performing it? Both of us go to a place of that primal catharsis when we do this piece together, for sure. Well, let's hear an excerpt. So this is the very distinctive Give Me Back My Fingerprints, Jennifer Coe, Violin, Do Yun Voice, from the new Sadie Records album, Limitless.
was an excerpt from a piece with the evocative title, Give Me Back My Fingerprints. It was performed by Jennifer Coe on violin and the composer, Du Yun, using her voice in a very improvisatory manner. And it comes from the new album on Sadie Records titled Limitless. It's a series of duos which Jennifer performs with the composers, almost all of whom she commissioned herself for the pieces on this album. So now that we've heard the excerpts from both Lisa Bilawa's piece and Du Yun's piece, the two pieces that use the composer's own voice, I wanted to ask, what is it like working with composers whose instrument is, in fact, their own voice? And, in fact, working with vocalists in general. It's interesting with Lisa because she was on the tour for Einstein on the Beach, and sometimes we would share dressing rooms, and it was because that opera is incredibly intense. It's four and a half hours long, and it's very physically demanding. I think we spent months together in dressing rooms never speaking to each other. She couldn't speak because she had to preserve her voice. I couldn't speak (laughs) because I needed to focus so much. So in a weird way, we bonded by not speaking (laughs) and not hearing each other's voices. I should note that for that opera, you were, in fact, dressed up as, wig and all, Albert Einstein. Yes, I was Einstein. (laughs) Are there pictures maybe on your website of that? I don't know if it's on my website. I do know it's on the Internet. I assume if somebody Googles Jennifer Coe as Einstein, they might find this. It is really quite a picture. I've never spent so much time in makeup. It took at least an hour to turn me, an Asian woman, into a fat old Jewish man. (laughs) The next piece is by Taishan Sori. It's a memorial piece. It's, in fact, titled In Memoriam Muhal Richard Abrams. Jenny, can you tell us who that was? Actually, he has a relationship to Chicago for ACCM. The Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. Yes. And he had an enormous impact on generations of musicians. And, well, I would have to let Taishan speak about it. I'm not going to speak in place of him. But I think he had a very strong connection to Muhal. And I was lucky enough to meet him just shortly before he passed away. Well, he was a mentor to Taishan, wasn't he? Yes. And interestingly, this is the only piece on the album where there is no note from the composer, but there is a picture of the dedicatee. So absent a note from the composer himself, Jennifer, what would you like to say about this piece? I think that Taishan is exploring stillness and the environment of sound. This piece is a particularly distinctive sound because it uses an instrument which isn't heard as often, shall we say, as as many other instruments. It is the glockenspiel. What would you like to say about its sound and playing against it? I think in terms of glockenspiels, we don't hear it as a solo instrument, for sure. Not very often. And Taishan is also quite the connoisseur in terms of building his instruments and in terms of having these instruments built for him. So this glock was custom-built for him, and it was something where he was working on the sound. Oftentimes, glockenspiels are incredibly bright, and he had this created so it did not have that kind of brightness of sound. And I think this plays into the idea of these kind of blocks of sound and also this idea of memory, because memory is not always such a distinct, sculpted, immovable thought. It metamorphizes with every day and every time you think upon a memory. And I think that's what this piece is about. I'm glad you mentioned about the sound of this particular glockenspiel because it is really quite a mellow sound, which is not what I would have been expecting at all. And it's a very beautiful sound, too. Mm -hmm. Here is an excerpt from In Memoriam, Muha Richard Abrams, performed by violinist Jennifer Coe and the composer Taishan Sori on Glockenspiel.
That was an excerpt from a piece by Taishan Sori. It's titled, In Memoriam Muhal Richard Abrams, a tribute to Sori's mentor. And it was performed by Jennifer Cohen violin and Taishan Sori on Glockenspiel from the new Sadie Records album featuring Jennifer Coe, Limitless. And you can find this album on sadierecords.org, that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, where you can purchase it in various formats, CD, MP3, FLAC, which is a high-res audiophile download, and of course, anywhere else that CDs are sold, downloads are sold, albums are streamed, such as Spotify, Apple Music, and of course, the high-definition sites like HD tracks as well. So I hope you'll want to check out the whole album after hearing these excerpts. And we move on now to the last piece on the first disc. This is actually a two-disc set, but essentially priced and made available as though it were a single disc. The next piece on the album, the last piece on disc one, is titled Sun Propeller, and it's by Nina Young, who is collaborating with Jennifer on electronics in this case. So here's another piece that uses electronics. I'd like to read part of her comment in the booklet and then, Jennifer, have you comment on this. She writes, In Sun Propeller, the violin and its real-time electronic duo partner ebb and flow, filter and amplify, become the body and the environment. Together, they create a union that is a composite whole, refractions all traceable to a single drone rooted in the violin's drop D, scordatura tuning. So I guess the first thing to ask about is how did you retune the violin for this piece? Everything is around the pitch of D. What does that mean, drop D, scordatura tuning? The E string and maybe the G string is in scordatura. Basically, the way I explain scordatura is if you're at a piano, you throw all of the white keys into one corner and all the black keys into another corner, and then you say, Find the A above middle C. That's what it feels like to play Scudatura. <laughs> so how were you able to negotiate that in this piece? One just has to. And it does change a lot, the resonance, the way the overtones work on the violin. I completely understand why she's using Scudatura. So you just kind of return to this one pitch of D, which is really the heart of the piece in terms of pitch world. And in terms of other things, the character of the piece shifts a lot. So it's not like we're just around one pitch, but a lot of things are shifting. What I find really interesting as well is how Nina utilizes electronics because she is a composer that works quite a deal with it. And the nice thing about live electronics, and what I mean by that is that it's being live processed, is that the electronics are always responding to you as a performer. So I'm never bound by the electronics. So I have a great deal of musical freedom. And in fact, this piece does involve a lot of filtering or processing in the electronics, correct? Yeah, that's kind of what this school of earcom live process electronics is about, that the electronics always respond to the performer and not the other way around. And the other thing to note, I think, about this piece is that it's inspired by Tuvan throat singing. How does that manifest itself? I don't know. We never spoke about that. <laughs> it's a low drone singing technique, right? There's definitely a drone that begins the piece before I actually even start playing. And then with each trigger, so in each different section, my part is triggering a different set of electronics. But the base of the drone is pretty constant. I think that's also why she chose doing the piece in Scudatura, because the vibrations are very different. The overtone series is very different on the fiddle. All right, well, let's hear some of that then. Here is an excerpt from a piece titled Sun Propeller, and the composer notes that the title refers to fanned sunbeams that pierce through cloud openings, and you can definitely hear some of that in the filtering or synthesizing of the electronics. Anyway... Here's an excerpt from Sun Propeller, as performed by violinist Jennifer Coe with the composer Nina Young on electronics. We just heard an excerpt of a piece titled Sun Propeller. It's for violin and electronics. It was performed by violinist Jennifer Coe with the composer Nina Young 
on electronics. It's from the new Sadie album, Limitless, which is all duos with Jennifer Coe on violin and the individual composers as her musical collaborators. And now that we've come to the halfway point or the break between discs one and two, Jenny, this might be a good time for me to ask you how this project fits in with the many projects that you've done and are doing. The projects I create are always about making a world that I believe in and that I want to live in. And that includes working with artists that I really admire and that I love their voices. But it also means working with repertoire in general that I really love, trying to find creative ways of understanding that music, trying to find creative ways of communicating that music. When I make projects, what I say when people ask me, how do you come up with these ideas, is I have no idea what I'll be doing in five years, if that makes sense, in terms of projects that will come to my head to bring forth. And that's exactly how I love living, because I want to be constantly changing and evolving to the point that I have no idea what I'll be doing in five years. Of course, within classical music and how dates are set and whatnot, things are very planned out. So in that sense, if I come up with an idea now, it will probably be presented to an audience in five years. But then by the time I reach that point of where it's being presented, I'm already moving towards another project. I should note that most of your projects are based in contemporary music, either in whole, as in the case of Limitless and Shared Madness, or in part, for example, Bridge to Beethoven and Bach and Beyond. Why is contemporary music so important to you? And is there a connection between your love or passion for contemporary music and your other great musical passion, J.S. Bach? First of all, I've lived with Bach. I've lived with Beethoven my entire conscious life. So it's a language I'm very familiar with. The concept of stopping learning repertoire just seems so foreign to me. The concept of only reading books written in the 18th century seems really foreign to me, (laughs) or only books up to the 19th century. I always want context because society changes. So there's always a relevance to history. Sometimes we learn from history, sometimes we don't. But I always want to find that connection, that human connection, that kind of humanity, because that's what music is all about. It's about connections and emotional connection between human beings. So for me, it just feels completely normal and natural to even want to create this thread to the past. This makes a great segue into the next piece because you are really the inspiration for the next piece, according to the composer Wang Lu. This is a piece in three movements titled Her Latitude. It's also a a piece where the composer's part on electronics, as with the piece we just heard, is partly improvised and includes unusual sounds for classical music, such as Buddhist chants, and she writes faint old Korean pop songs, among other things. Was this piece particularly personal to you? Lou's title, Her Latitude, is about a reclamation of oneself. What's interesting with her music that I find so great is she has this incredible sense of humor. So in the first half of the piece, Yes, you hear it opens with a siren and something very shocking, aurally, as most sirens would be. But then it's so hilarious to me because she adds these hilarious harp things. But it's a very serious piece at the same time. She thinks a great deal about structure, about pitch. This is, again, a live-processed electronics piece. And in the second half of the piece, the electronics are responding from material that's made out of the clinking of pottery. So that's also a part of this piece. In her notes, Wang Lu talks about her approach to music and likens it to yours. She writes, for me, and certainly for Jenny as well, music is never just about the delivery of notes. The richness of her playing and character is the primary inspiration for this piece. With that in mind, why don't we hear an excerpt from the third movement? The movements are simply titled one, two, and three. The third movement of Her Latitude by Wang Lu. 
with the composer on electronics and, of course, Jennifer Coe, violin. was an excerpt from the third movement, titled simply Movement 3, of Her Latitude, work for violin and electronics by Wang Lu, who performed the electronics there, along with Jennifer Ko on violin, from her new album, Limitless, all duos perform with the composers from whom the pieces were, in all but uh, two cases, commissioned by Jennifer as well, through her nonprofit organization, Arco Collaborative. And if you want to hear this whole album, you should check it out on sadierecords.org. That's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records dot O-R-G. You can also find it on all the streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Music, HD Tracks, etc. Of course, on iTunes if you want to download and places like Archive Music and Amazon.com if you'd rather get your physical CD from there. So anywhere you can find music will be there with this wonderful new album by Jennifer Coe and terrific composers. And the next one is Vijay Iyer. Maybe you're ending the album with the best-known composers. Is that fair to say? I didn't build the album at all on who might be well-known or not because I'm so much inside of the community. <laughs> I don't think in those terms, if that makes sense. So I really just ordered the album completely based on what I think would musically go well next to each other. I guess the one thing that I do take pride in is that oftentimes before these composers become well-known, because I do a lot of research and I go to a lot of concerts, sometimes I'll fly out to hear concerts. That's how I first came across, well, everybody's music, to be honest. <laughs> Everybody on the CD. So I do a lot of research in that sense, and everything is based on what I hear in their music. So there could be composers that are very well known, but if I don't connect to their music, it doesn't matter. So even in terms of the composers that are on the CD, the composers that were commissioned, the ordering of the program, it has absolutely nothing to do with whether they're recognized right now. I think with Vijay's piece, one of the interesting things to note, I believe it's the third movement, is completely improvised. On both parts? Yeah. And then also, I think the middle section of the fourth movement, it was good for me because it pulls me out of my comfort zone and it put me in a place of learning, which I always love doing, and complete and utter terror. I remembered when I got the third movement and there was a page of text, I just panicked because <laughs> I hadn't really done a great deal of improvisation. But I feel like I learned from the best. So I've begun to enjoy that part now. Well, Vijay, of course, is known in part because he is the recipient a few years ago of a MacArthur Genius Grant. As was Taishan, as was, oh, by the way. Oh, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that. So we have two geniuses on the, well, actually, they're all geniuses, but two recognized <laughs> by the MacArthur Foundation as geniuses. And two of them won the Rome Prize. Du Yun won the Pulitzer Prize. 
Lou just got the Berlin Prize. But again, for a lot of them, I think this is the fourth piece that Vijay has written for me. But I first approached him before any of those things happened, the wonderful things and awards he was given. Well, let's talk about the piece. It's titled The Diamond, and actually the inspiration is an early Buddhist text, The Diamond Sutra. And in the program notes, Vijay actually quotes from the sutra the following lines. All composed things are like a dream, a phantom, a drop of dew, a flash of lightning. That is how to meditate on them. That is how to observe them. And in fact, the movement titles come straight out of that text. The movements are a dream, a phantom, a drop of dew, and a flash of lightning. We heard a short excerpt from the first moment, a dream at the beginning of this podcast, We'll hear from the last moment, a flash of lightning, in a moment. Jennifer, is there anything particular you want to say about it? I guess just there's an improvised section in the middle. It was very interesting to me because there's an aural cue in which then we go back into the quote-unquote written part or the notated part of the movement. Vijay is known in both the classical and jazz worlds. Is that fair to say? And how does one classify a composer like that? I don't really believe in genre in general. I just believe the world is divided. If we're talking about music, it's divided into good musicians and bad musicians. So for me, he's just a great musician. For me, Taishan is just a great musician. They might have more recognition or recognition in other quote-unquote genres, but I don't see a division that these composers do span so many different genres and can bring so many different kinds of musics to their compositions in whatever genre or form is very well reflected on Sadie Records' Spotify playlist for September, which is based on this album. It's Jennifer's performances of many different contemporary composers from her albums on Sadie and other labels. And then I've chosen two selections each by the different composers on Limitless. And you get to hear quite a range of musics. If you can go to the Sadie Records page on Spotify and you'll find this playlist as our September featured playlist. I hope you'll check that out. Well, let's hear A Flash of Lightning, Fourth Movement, from The Diamond by Vijay Iyer, Jennifer Coe Violin, Vijay Iyer Piano. Thank you. 
that was part of a movement titled A Flash of Lightning by Vijay Iyer from his piece The Diamond. It's performed by violinist Jennifer Coe with the composer who Jennifer commissioned it from, Vijay Iyer, at the piano. Now, we have one composer left, but before we hear one of the last two pieces on the album, there are so many different combinations on this album, Jennifer. Some pieces with electronics, some with singing, some with acoustic instruments. And yet the album, I think, really has a wonderful sound throughout, which I would have to credit to the multi-multi-Grammy-winning producer, Judith Sherman. What was it like working with her on this particular project, as you've worked with her on many in the past? I think we just have a very good rhythm, and we've worked together over so many years that I think we just have a very comfortable sense of she knows what I'll like and what I don't like, and just the pacing of the sessions. And she trusts me as well, because there are certain pieces that ask for a very specific kind of acoustic, and we would just go with that. I think it's always wonderful when a musician and a producer have that kind of rapport. I think it leads to some really wonderful recordings, as it has so many times in your case. And, of course, that's not just with Judy, but I think Judy's been the producer on the majority of your albums. Yes. So let's move on to the last composer. There are two separate pieces by Missy Mazzoli, a name certainly familiar to lovers of contemporary classical music. And these are the only pieces on the album that are not world premieres. Why did you choose to include them? Missy's a really good friend of mine. And the first time I worked with her, she wrote a piece for me called Dissolve, Oh My Heart, which is actually on Bach and Beyond Part 1. On AV um, Records? Yes. And I think she wrote it for me in 2007. It was before she has the recognition now as being the first female composer to be commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera. And I remembered going to her opera, Breaking the Waves, and I just started weeping because I was so proud of her. She had evolved and grown as a composer, and it was one of the most moving things I've experienced. So we have a very long history of she's written for me, and it just felt natural to do these two pieces with her. They both fall within the time period that we've known each other musically, and I just love her. I love her writing. I love her music. So you chose two pieces by Missy, A Thousand Tongues and Vespers for Violin. Why did you choose these particular pieces? Well, I felt like Vespers was really closely musically connected, actually, to Dissolve Oh My Heart. It has that kind of ecstasy involved. Here there's, of course, more layers or more sounds. There's a voice involved. There's a delay involved in which the violin echoes, so it's not acoustic. The violin is still processed in the electronics. And I just love Vespers, and I love Thousand Tongues. I basically just chose the pieces I loved. No better reason than that. Since you especially mentioned Vespers, let's hear an excerpt from that. This is with the Missy Mazzoli on electronics, and she notes that there's a lot of sampling involved in her part, from keyboards, vintage organs, voices, strings, etc., with delay and distortion added in. And it creates quite an amazing sound world, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. There's kind of an ecstasy to it. That's, it's very hard to write for voice, actually, and she just knows how. It's not just knows how. She is somebody that's incredibly disciplined in her work. I definitely can say the same thing for Lisa and actually for most of the composers on this disc. And what's interesting, we've often had conversations about this because there's always people that are very gifted. But in a way, talent can be cheap, if that makes sense. And the real gift is your work ethic, actually, and how much and how dedicated and how consistently one works. And I think the majority of composers on this disc are incredibly dedicated, incredibly have that ethic. Wonderful. Well, let's hear an excerpt from Vespers for Violin which is actually for violin and electronics, Jennifer Coe, violin, 
the composer Missy Mazzoli on electronics. We just heard an excerpt from a piece titled Vespers for Violin with Jennifer Coe on violin, and the piece actually includes electronics as well. The electronics were performed by the composer, Missy Mazzoli, as are all the pieces on this album, Limitless, are pieces performed with the composers. It's a project that Jennifer Coe conceived over a couple of years, and I wanted to ask, is there for you any difference in performing with a composer than performing with a different collaborator who didn't write the piece you're playing. Oh, definitely. What was really fascinating to me, we had spoken earlier that Du Yun is a true performer, like that's a huge percentage of her life and her work life. And it was just interesting to me because there's a kind of vulnerability that has to happen when you perform. You're very exposed. You have to be incredibly open while simultaneously doing things that are really difficult. (laughs) You know, playing an instrument, singing, doing all of these other things are very difficult. Being a composer is difficult, but they're all difficult in different ways. And having that sense of shared vulnerability of being on stage together was really a unique experience. And I think it's something that we all really took a great deal of joy. It was actually funny to me because... A lot of the composers were super excited about performing with me, and they were, in some ways, a couple of them were really intimidated by it, which I found really surprising because I admire them so much as composers, so in that sense they could seem really intimidating to me. So that was just a surprising thing. That was unusual. And finally, now that people have had a chance to hear excerpts of each composer's music on the album, what would you like people to take away from the program as a whole? I think that by hearing voices from people who have experiences very different from our own only adds to our world. It only adds richness, and it is truly a loss if we don't recognize and listen to the humanity and the voices and the stories of people who are different from us, who have had different experiences from us who come from different backgrounds, who come from different places. And I truly value hearing the voices, the stories, and the music of people that had very different childhoods from mine, who come from many different communities. And there's great beauty and a gift of empathy that can happen within ourselves, not only performing with them, but also just listening to them. I'm glad you noted the diversity of these composers. Can you talk about that and how the composers and these pieces may reflect the future of or for classical music? 
It's interesting growing up as a minority, existing in a world where the music that you love has been created in Western Europe, and that there are people that believe that talent or understanding of art really comes through bloodlines. For example, it's not uncommon to hear, oh, this person understands Mozart because they were born in Vienna. And that's actually still quite common. So a lot of it is about finding the artistic space. And it's an opportunity that I want to share with other people because they also believe in this music. And I also truly believe that art, it's a reflection of who we are. And when people are talking about classical music dying, I really feel that it's because we need to be more closely connected to our communities that we work in, we live in. So it's my mission in life to commission new music and to create an environment in which artists have voice. And it's about expanding the pie. It's not about fighting over a slice. It's about trying to invite as many creative people into this world as possible. And I've never believed in talent or understanding based on what your ethnicity is or what city you grew up in. Because frankly, I see the world in terms of good musicians and bad musicians. And there are plenty of bad musicians that were born in cities that Mozart might have been born in or Bach might have been born in. So I truly do not believe that because one is of a certain ethnicity or was born in a certain country that therefore they are good or bad. But at the same time, I take it you did want to bring many different points of view, which includes different ethnicities, into this and all the projects you do. Yeah, I also truly do believe it's a loss for classical music. It's a loss for music in general if we keep people out based on beliefs that might be held. And it's really a loss for the art form. When people talk about the art form dying, I don't see it as this kind of colonial taming of the savages. When you bring music into certain places and you're like, worship this music, it's great. It's really about bringing in their voices. It's about listening to them. In any case, the foundation of music is about your ability to listen. It's not about your playing ability in a lot of ways. That should be 0.0001% of what you're concerned about. Making music is really about listening. And so therefore, I believe in listening. Although it's important to have the technique to be able to bring out the results of all that listening. Yes. When I think historically, refugees from World War II, specifically Jewish musicians, they changed the landscape of classical music in the United States. There's no question about that. And just in that same sense, I believe it's incredibly important to change the landscape in classical music still. Right. I really appreciate those thoughts. And let's move on to what I always like to ask artists at the end of these podcasts. First of all, Jenny, what's coming up for you? I just got back from the Watermill Center where I was working with Robert Wilson, the director, and Lucinda Childs, the choreographer, and both from Einstein on the Beach, actually. I met them both there. And we're working on a project called Box Six Solo in which we're staging all six sonatas and partitas of Bach. And I had an incredible time. It was like artist heaven because everything is about art, and that's so clearly the priority. I was talking before about this dedication and discipline and that you can't cut any corners and that there's a talent in that. And it was such a gift to work with them I think the reason that Bob and I had bonded so much during the Einstein tour was because we both just see each other in the other, because neither of us will stop until exactly what we want artistically is done. So this project is the purest form of love expressed through art. So I'm incredibly excited about that. I don't have a premiere date. I'm just thinking about it because we were just workshopping it a week ago. Excellent. And finally, we always like to ask artists, what makes the Chicago music scene so special? What does Chicago mean for you musically? Now, what Chicago means to me is a lot about memory, and it's a lot about this idea of circularity in one's life. And I see a lot of who I am now as a musician 
circle back to who I actually was when I was young. So in that sense, Chicago is always part of musical growth circles or something, like in a tree. (laughs) So Chicago, even though you are based in New York and have been for quite a while, to a certain extent, Chicago is still your musical home? I think it's every place is one's home in a weird way. It's just what you make of it. But I think Chicago had a really crucial role. Or I think the people in Chicago, when I was growing up, I really truly wouldn't be a musician today had people not had the generosity to advocate for me and also mentor me. And that taught me a great lesson as well. And it's something that I realize is so incredibly important, which is advocating for others. And the sense of generosity that they gave me, you have to share with others. So in that sense, I think Chicago, my experiences and my upbringing there, it's always alive in me. Well, it's been really wonderful talking to you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jim. The new album on CD Records is Limitless, Jennifer Coe Violin, performing with the contemporary composers that she commissioned for this project in almost all cases. So it's a series of duos of all contemporary works, all very different and very interesting and very beautiful. I hope you'll check it out on Sadie Records. My name is Jim Ginsberg. I'm the founder and president of Sadie Records, and you've been listening to Sadie's Classical Chicago Podcast.